Thank you for listening to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We aim to offer you a safe listening space to grow in your recovery. I hope today's show is an encouragement to you and brings you a sense of peace in your life. For updates on new content, follow us on social media at recoveryrefuge.care. Also, check out our website for any developments in our ministry at recoveryrefuge.care. Enjoy today's show. Hey, welcome to the Recovery Refuge podcast. I'm Hunter. I'm here with Adam French, the founder of Recovery Refuge. The goal of this podcast, we have two different sub-episodes. One is where we hear the stories and we hear the testimonies of former addicts, recovering addicts, and people who may be still fighting their addictions. But the point of this episode is to sharpen our swords. The point here is we want to educate you on the Bible. We want to educate you on he who can set you free so that you can use it in your own fight. Um, so we're going to dive in here. Uh, Adam, I want to just lead with this. So often in this recovery journey, um, I remember whenever I was talking to somebody really early on about Recovery Refuge and the goal here, and somebody, just kind of a naysayer, was like, well, why do we need that? Why, when there's so many other counseling centers, recovery meetings, and help out there now, to me, and this is a non-addict talking, to me, it seems there's a clear plan of action. So why are still, with all these plans of action, why are more people dying? Why is addiction and the alcohol problem growing instead of declining? But the thing is, it's not just growing in volume, it's getting worse. Do people not know about these services? Or what do you think the deal is? No, I think that's a a fair question. And a lot of people uh, bring this up, like, hey, just go get help. Like, okay, go go to a place you don't understand, um, no matter where you may be, how far down you've gone, um, why not just um, take hold of the services? And we've talked in the past about sort of the, the illusion of addiction and why people use. Um, we've talked about this gift of desperation. But today I, I want to talk uh, about willingness. And, you know, it's been said that the, the further down addiction takes you, the better chance you have at finding recovery, mm-hmm. finding healing, because coming to this to that place of incomprehensible demoralization or hitting that rock bottom provides the willingness, right, that we need to surrender all to Jesus Christ, all to recovery. And it's kind of like the old hymn says, you know, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust in him in his presence daily I live. And I say all of that um, to say this. Most people right now that are in addiction, I say, and I do mean most, because we have to understand this in the world of recovery. And I think people um, don't like to admit it, don't like to talk yeah. about it. But the truth is, is there's, there's a person right now who is in active addiction, using, drinking, and they go, I don't... I, I don't have any desire to stop. Yeah, I have a, a family member. My uncle's in prison, and he's uh, been arrested countless times. So many times that the uh, this last time the judge said, "Listen, you're not. You're never giving out." Like mm. they gave him as many years as they could. Every charge he's ever had since he was 18 was drug related. But at the end of the day, he has no desire to change. I talked to him on the phone over a month ago, and we were talking, and I brought up something about um, you know. Using and he said, you know, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I have no desire to stop. Wow. And so that is the truth. Like there are people who are who are lost. Yeah. They have no desire to quit. Um, they still are living in that illusion, and they don't they don't want to. Um, but for for most that are in, I think that's smaller group. Mm-hmm. I think most people that are struggling and they're painful times, like they're saying, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. Like, I think that would be true of most of us. Like, I, man, I'm tired of this. I, I want to stop. I want to get clean. I, I want to stop um, looking at that. I'm, uh, it's miserable, right? Um, but the truth is, is that most are not willing to let go, mm-hmm. which is, and do what is necessary to get clean. Yeah. And, and we discussed this a few weeks back uh, or, or whenever. I don't know the order of the podcast, how they go. but um, And we'll talk more about that as far as relapse in the future and there's a lot of different places that we could land but for this i just want to talk about willingness 
because I know that like my struggles with alcoholism, that's what put me at odds with everything that is good and that is perfect, all the gifts that God's had for me. Yeah. That would put that's put me at odds against God. And that's true for anyone that's stuck right now that's listening or have someone that they love that's stuck right now. It puts them at odds to God. And admitting that we have a problem and placing our faith in God brings us to that reality about who we are and how that struggle has affected us. And it's not just there, though. It's what are we willing to do? Yeah. And I truly believe that it's not that, man, we don't have enough resources. Yeah. The truth is, is that people aren't just will, aren't really willing to do the work that it takes. Yeah. And, that, and that, Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say that hymn you brought up, uh, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. To live that out is to have a willingness to separate from that what you're holding on to. Right. Whether it be riches, whether it be addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, whatever, you have to be willing to surrender. You have to be willing to freely give so that you can love and trust. Because you said a few minutes ago that it's it's your sin distancing you from God. Right. God doesn't back away. He, he's. It's not like... Uh, you're real dirty right now. I'm going to scoot back a yeah. few steps. When you get clean, I'll come closer. We're the ones barricading ourselves from right. God. And I think we know what that feels like. Yeah. Because like if, um, uh, you know, whatever, my, my one of my favorite things, I love uh, I love chips, I love cookies, I love all these things, and I have three kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's always like a hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. Right now, sometimes I'm like, you know, somebody can say, hey, let me get one of those, and I'm like, oh, yeah, here, man, you know. Yeah. And it, it doesn't bother me, I'm grateful, and then I'm looking, sometimes I look down, I'm like, I got two left. Uh-huh. There's three of y'all. Oh, break it in half. I'm like, if I break it, so you want me to take my two Oreos and break them into four pieces so mm. I get one half of one. Yeah. And y'all, like, you see, there's, sometimes we fight that. Yeah. And I think what holds us back and what eventually leads to relapse and to struggle is the truth is, deep down, we're just not willing to do what it takes. Mm-hmm. We're unwilling. And we don't have to... Um, say if you're listening you you don't have to say i'm willing to change everything yeah it just takes a little bit of willingness right and i think that is what is birthed out of the desperation yeah if you say that you're desperate um and you've understood um that you've believed the lie of satan that you've used for this long and now you're going hey um if i know that to be true and i'm in this broken place then if that is true then the fruit of that, as James would tell us, the fruit of that would be, I'm willing to do something completely different. And I think in Mark chapter 10. Um, yeah, 17 we, and 20. Yeah, we see like this person yeah. who says, um, hey, there's some things that I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for. Yeah. But in reality, how willing is he? Let's, let's learn about that. If you don't mind reading that, please. Yeah, so the subtitle here is The Rich in the Kingdom of God. Verse 17 starts with, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or lie. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Hmm. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Hmm. You know, let's break this down uh, a verse. Thank you for reading that. Is um, kind of verse by verse, verse 17. Um, so Jesus is here. He's performing many miracles. He's in the heart of his ministry where he's um, healing people and breaking people free from struggles. He's speaking truth. And he's just um, become a very public figure, right, where literally people are running to him. Yeah. So this man comes and kneels down to him, takes a posture of humility, right? So he takes a humble posture and calls him teacher, which 
gives him this honor, this authority as a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And so there's no problem with authority, no problem with respect. There's no problem with pride and ego here. That's not an issue. Um, and he says, hey, what, what must I do to be in heaven? What must I do to have this deep relationship with you that will continue on into eternity's past? Mm-hmm. How can I become um, essentially um, a child of God, right? Yeah. And um, and Jesus kind of walks through um, a few things here about what it means to to um, be in right relationship with Him, and Jesus immediately says, "Why do you call me good? Yeah, no one's good." And because He knows this about this man, this man comes to Him with a humble heart. He comes to Him respecting His authority, and He comes to Him believing in his heart that I've done all that I need. Mm. He comes to him saying, essentially, I'm good. Yeah. And he goes through and says, listen, I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't, I'm not a liar. I'm not cheating anyone. I'm not disrespectful to my mom and my father or anything like that. I'm honoring them. I'm keeping these commandments. And then Jesus says something that I think is what holds us back it, it's what it's what keeps a lot of people from jumping in the water of recovery jumping in to saying i'm willing to do whatever it takes to get sober right yeah. and that is he says well i want you to give this one thing that you're holding back mm. for this man it was his money his wealth he had a lot of them i think this is one of, i think verse 22 is is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Yeah. Because here's a man who's standing face to face with God and God tells him, here's what you need to do to be close to me, to spend eternity with me, to be in right relationship with me. And the man says, I'm just not willing. Yeah. I'm just not willing to give this up. And we, I think, you know, most of us have heard the story of how to catch a monkey in the wild. Uh, the story's been told in many ways, but the lesson is always the same. And it's been told across several different continents. People groups uh, developed different methods for trapping mm-hmm. monkeys. But uh, for this instance, n- normally what happens is that um, uh, they take a, a coconut uh, or a similar shaped object and they drill a hole that's just large enough for a monkey's hand to get inside. Uh, and then they'll add some sort of weight, like they'll they'll strap it down so that you can't just take the, the coconut and run with it, right? Something yeah. um, it keeps the object so that the monkey can't take it away. And then they'll put a tiny little fruit inside of the hole that they drilled where just the monkey's hand can fit through. So the monkey can flatten out his hand and he can slide through the hole and there's a hollow point there where he can make a fist and grab the coconut. And all he has to do though is let go of that coconut because when he makes the fist, the hole is not big enough mm-hmm. for him to pull out, and so and, and, and the coconut's too too heavy for him to carry. Because the monkey will not let go, it becomes trapped. Mm-hmm. The animal literally, like it, it, he gives up his freedom to hold on to a small piece of food. Like literally, there's think about it. He's in he's in the jungle, or yeah. like the fruit is all around him. Her, all he has to do is let go mm-hmm. and he's free to go and eat somewhere else. But the monkey, because it won't let go, because it's not willing to let go, the monkey's trapped and eventually captured. And this is true of the rich man, of the rich young ruler in this story, and it's true of so many who are in addictions. Like we won't let go. And I know this to be absolutely true because every literally every week. I'm working with people in recovery, and they and, and I literally say to them, I want you to do this today, or I want you to do that tomorrow. Like I'm absolutely clear about things that they are need to do, or I suggest for them to do, that have proven to keep people sober for many, many years, and they don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it said that when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain that it takes to change, people get willing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, um, people can take a lot of pain. 
Yeah. You think about the monkey. He's willing to walk up and have a human grab him and capture him before he's willing to let go. And the reality is that most people, and, and many of us in addiction or struggling with whatever the struggle may be, we're just not willing to stop. We're not willing to do the things necessary to tame. And it's not just in the beginning of recovery, as far as just getting sober, it's throughout the entire process of growing as a believer. I think there's many people that are, can hold on to their sobriety. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got five years sober, I've got 10 years old sober, but you're not willing to address, address the unforgiveness. You're not willing to address um, this addiction or that addiction. Like we're saying, oh wait, no, I'm, I, well, I'm sober now, but I'm not gonna let go of this God. I'm not, and God's saying, you can be close to me. Yeah. The creator, you can experience the fullness of my joy. And a lot of us don't have that victory. You know, I heard a lady say this one time in a meeting. So she said, how free do you want to be? How much freedom do you want? Yeah. And a lot of us, we chapped ourselves on her. Yeah. So what I think is interesting in this story, we're talking about the rich young ruler. Yeah. Jesus, if we are leaning into his humanity here, unless I'm missing something, he doesn't know this guy's rich. There's nothing, he doesn't walk up and go, hey, I'm, I'm, I think it was Nicodemus is who it was, but he said, hey, I'm Nicodemus and I have a net worth of X. And, but Jesus says, do this thing and you will have treasure in heaven. Everyone has things. So when Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, that mandate could apply to anyone. It doesn't matter your net worth, but Jesus specifically says, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Yeah. So I think when you're talking about the monkey and the, the barrier, whatever's inside the coconut, he could have easily, like you said, let go, left, found food elsewhere. But the problem with this fallen world is that he wanted what he had his eyes on and he wanted what he really wasn't supposed to have. Right. So you could tie that into the joy, you and I are both dads, the joy that we have with our kids, with our wives, with our family is one that is just, it outweighs all things. Except yeah. the joy in Jesus, of course. I don't right, want right. to yeah. limit that. But we could forsake that tomorrow and go take, go attempt to find joy in other things right. if we fall into that. We could find a berry and a coconut to grab onto. But you have to make the decision. Like you said, you have to have the willingness to leave behind that which you shouldn't have to get the treasure that God does have for you. Right. So I just think, I think it's interesting that in this conversation, he doesn't walk up and state his net worth. God right. says to him, you will have treasure if you sell this. Yeah, yeah. I do believe that Jesus knew yes. that he was rich. Yes. But I, don't, but, but I think the man didn't know what his problem was. Exactly. The man didn't know what his problem was, but Jesus knew clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so important, one, that when we come yep. and we posture ourselves before the Lord in prayer and reading his word, in uh, meetings, when we place ourselves in positions where we can hear the truth from God, because God likes to put skin on and he likes mm-hmm. to speak through other people. Yep. And we place ourselves in healthy community, God is going to expose the things. It's not a lack of knowledge. No. It's not a lack of resources. It's not, man, well, we, need, we, do, now we do need more uh, places now. Yes. There is a lack of resource in uh, in our particular county, yeah. uh, Sunbury County, where people need to go. That is clear. And I would say, and I would argue, that there is a lack of Christian, Bible-based, word-centric recovery places. Yep. Places that aren't saying, I want you to take medication. Yeah. I, I think there is a pathway to recovery that is clearly not working. And yeah. it's because we're not using the Word of God and we're not using um, uh, the healthy tools that we have, right? That's another, we'll talk, that'll be another podcast. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk all in that in yep. detail. But I say that because oftentimes I hear in the recovery community um, this word of rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that we've alluded to in um, kind of the beginning of our discussion, um, you know, this whole place that AA calls, AA book actually uses the phrase incomprehensible demoralization. But the truth is, is Hunter, we don't have to all get there. 
<laughs> yeah. We can be the the rich young ruler in the beginning and say, God, I, I, what what do I need to do to be closer to you? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to get this off of my back, to let go of this? And that's a good thing. God, how do I let go of this? Um, but the problem is, is that we stop before we're there because we've we've convinced ourselves that we don't we don't need that. We convince ourselves of I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal. Yeah. And the truth is, is that God is saying, "Listen, what are you willing to do? What are you, you know, willing to surrender?" I, yeah, I, re- I remember my one of my counselors um, when I was early on in recovery, the first first year or two of recovery, and uh, you know he he challenged me um, to really consider. Um, my story and how things had been in my life. He's like, you know, if you look back at your life, every time that you used, every time that you drank, it wasn't like a normal person who drinks, he has one and says, hey, I want to be under control. Hey, I'm never going to drink and drive or I never want to get out of control. They can't name the fights that they had or they remember, you know, people drink and remember what they did. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, if I yeah. drink, I don't remember what happened. Yeah, you know, or you know, um, there's. It was always excessive. It was so clear that I had an allergy, that I had a spiritual malady when it comes mm-hmm. to alcohol and drugs and addiction, and um, it was so obvious. And, and I would say, well, here's the thing, man. Like I've, I've never slept under a bridge. I've never killed anybody. Mm-hmm. Like I had all of these not yets. All of these things that I hadn't done yet. Um, and my counselor said, don't get sober now because of your not yet. Because mm. they will come true. I don't know what was in store for the rich young ruler. But scripture tells us clearly that our possessions are not what yeah. give us hope, what give us peace, what give us future he asked for eternal life. Mm-hmm. So if he turned away from Jesus because he wanted to hold on to his possessions, he wasn't willing to give his life to Jesus Christ, turn his will and his life over to God's care because he wanted to hold on to this one thing. The Bible says he's been eternity separated from God. Yeah. In a place called hell, which is miserable, which is dark, which is a literal, literal place. And so I was able to see my future because I'd already faced enough pain, uh, but I'm not confused at all that there was much more pain out there for me if I continued. Yeah. And I think that's that that's that hinge right there when people have to go, okay, am I willing to do all of these things that are difficult, that are hard? What am I willing to do from a recovery? Yeah. And a lot of people will say, listen, I, I I'm I understand. And I can see the destruction, but I'm just not willing to do it. Yeah. And I think sometimes that baffles people that are not in recovery. And that's that's just gets down to the rubber meets the road and saying, listen, this is why willingness is so important. Because if we start, you know, our journey of recovery uh, with just a little bit of willingness to do the work, it will reveal to us so much. And ultimately, it protects us from so much more pain and destruction in our future. That little bit of willingness when we say, all right, I want, I'm willing to start attending meetings every week. I'm willing to start calling my mentor, my sponsor. I'm willing mm-hmm. to get into God's Word in the morning and make prayer a regular. When we're willing to do that, here's what happens. It exposes more of the plot. Mm. So if the monkey, if he lets go of the fruit and pulls his hand out and he runs away, what does he say? What does he see when he's thinking? He goes, that was a trap. Yeah, but he's but he's free. Mm-hmm. When you're trapped, it doesn't help to go. Oh, that was a trap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, locked yeah. up. It's like oh, I, you know, when you're drunk, it, it doesn't help. You know, to say oh man, yeah. I never should have the first drink. It's when you're sober. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be willing to do some things differently. And um, so. Anyways, I just wanted to uh, take a moment there. Yeah, we have to find ways to convert the emotions of desperation into a willingness. And I think when you brought up the not yets, Mm -hmm. uh, the rich young ruler, it says in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, so let's just picture Jesus walking down the road. It says, 
a man ran up to him. So he sprinted to Jesus. That was yeah. one of the things he was willing to do. Yeah. He was willing as an established, accomplished businessman, he was willing to run full tilt yeah. to this guy. Yeah, he people, was, people are willing to get all the way up there. Yeah. Like go to, they'll say, okay, yeah, I want help. Yep. I want help. I asked for help. Now keep going. He dropped on his knees. Uh-huh. Even more of an undignified thing to do. It, they don't have asphalt and turf yards. Yeah. This is dirt. He's dropping down to his knees in the dirt. He was willing to do that thing. And then Jesus met him with, did you do these things? Oh, yeah, I did those. Yeah. So it's all these different things he was willing to do. And then he said, okay, he, he, Jesus knew, because again, Jesus is omniscience. He knew what this young rich ruler was holding on to. He said, okay, are you willing to let go of this? Right. And like you said, the not yet, that was the rich young ruler's not yet. It Man. was, mm. no. He, he had all this emotion that fueled him sprinting, fueled him dropping Goodness. to his knees, mm. fueled him giving a testimony of his life and all the things he had done, but he couldn't convert that last emotion to a willingness. Man, I'll never forget... Um, I was in the Salvation Army my first six months there. I'll never forget this. I met with a man. We had we had a we had a we had a, we had a recovery meeting, and people were going around just kind of talking and sharing. And and uh, this African American man, uh, he he just he just starts weeping, and uh, he's telling the story of man he got married, hmm. and he went to Bible college. God called him to be a pastor. And uh, while he was in Bible college, his wife, he talked about this guy, was real charismatic, good looking, uh, you know, fit. And long story short, his wife left him Mm. in Bible college for another guy there that was training to be a pastor. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into all that. Yeah, yeah. But this guy is telling the story he's weeping he's broken and he's talking about struggling with alcoholism and I mean I was just I was touched by it you know yeah. I'd been a, I'd been away from uh, my addiction and the whole world of that for enough where God had started to kind of make my heart tender and yeah and and that night I'll never forget we, there was like these steps we'd kind of walk up and you're walking down and, and you could catch people uh, sometimes like during lunchtime maybe they finished earlier you finished late or whatever and I saw him, I said, and I just stopped. I said, hey, man, uh, thanks for sharing that story. And I said, I don't know why. This is the Holy Spirit of God, I guess. I, I looked at him, I said, man, when, how long ago was that? When did that happen? You know, and I was thinking, like, last year or a few yeah. months ago. I mean, he was so, I mean, emotionally distraught. It was so fresh. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, man. And when he opened his mouth, I noticed, like, you know, that he was older, Right, mm-hmm. and he had some teeth missing and stuff. And when he when he opened his mouth, I hadn't noticed that. Right, yeah. I thought the man was really young. And he said, "Man, that was twenty seven years ago, Adam." He said, "Ever since that moment, I've been living on the street, homeless as a vagabond, a wino." I went. He, he's from Michigan. He's like, I just got on. The, I've just got here a, a week ago. I anytime it, once it starts getting cold, I get on the bus and I start heading my way south. south yeah. And I hit the homeless shelters and I'm a drunk and and um, I could not believe that I was so shocked and I just I prayed for that man and and then it wasn't it wasn't about a month or so later, um, he had left, mm-hmm. and I remember he came up and. Uh, because I had said something like, man, it's going to be different this time. I'm pray for you, man. I'm so sorry that happened. And I remember he, he was come back and he was drunk. And he, his face was all, he'd gotten a fight. He had a bunch, and he was, he was begging to be let back in. Mm. And there was no beds free. And our eyes locked for a moment, dude. And I mean, I can see it as clear as day right now. I can see his face. And it was like, he had a moment of clarity, like, you know, he's drunk. He's, I mean, he's screaming, trying to get back in, and we stopped, and it was just silence. And it was like, I knew, and he knew that I knew the reason why he was still drinking. The reason why he was still there, man. We knew. He knew. He sh- we, we had that moment together, and it was because he wouldn't let go. Mm. He wasn't willing to, to give that one thing. And we know that our resentments is the number one offender. Yeah. The number one thing that keeps people using, and that'll be a, another podcast all by itself, but the number one thing is resentments. 
we're unwilling to let go on that. And just like you said, that ruler, he comes running. He's, he's in the treatment center. He's, he's weeping. He's sharing his story. He's at, he's at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, what about this? Yeah. What, are you willing to let this go? And that, and I, I know that there's someone listening right now who's, maybe it's sexual abuse, maybe it's betrayal, maybe it's, maybe you're angry at God. There's there's that one thing you want you have not shared with anybody. You're not willing to let this go, and that's the thing that's going to keep you drunk. Yeah. That's the thing that's going to keep you using. That's the thing that's going to keep you acting out sexually in your marriage. It's going to be the thing that you keep staying up at night and you're eating whatever your struggle is. That's a thing that's keeping you. Yep from freedom with Christ. Yeah, so as we, as we begin to close this up, I wanna lean into the practical applications here and questions to ask ourselves, questions as the listener to ask, are you willing to do anything to get sober or stay sober? There's nothing in a biblical quest for sobriety that would ask you to harm yourself. Are you willing to do anything to stay sober? Are you willing to give up anything to stay sober? Your job, right. that's, that's such a hard one for so many people yeah. where your job may be a culture of drinking. Yeah. Your job may be a culture. I know I had a cousin who was hooked on meth for the longest time and he worked on a road crew in the state of Kentucky and it was pretty much an unspoken rule that to work these crazy hours and work the evenings and pull 48 hour shifts, you smoke meth to do it. Yeah. So oh, wow. he had to, he, and he knew in his, in his path of recovery, he had to leave what yeah. should have been a good thing. He had to leave his job. He was jobless for a while, relied on his parents so that he could leave that. He could leave that behind. Yeah. You and, Jesus said, cut off your hand. Cut yeah, off your cut hand. Cut off your hand. <laughs> it's better to hobble into the kingdom of heaven yeah. than to go down fully, fully membered. I don't yeah. know if, you, if I've ever told you this, but um, there's a men's uh, house that, um, you know, that I used to um, frequent. And this is very common. They uh, they have were you a, there as a recovery person or no? A, no, as I would addict. go there and help people, okay, and, right. and share my story and, and that sort of thing. And but it's, it's very common. Uh, a lot of places do this. They have kind of a cork board, and they took uh, construction paper and one side of the of the cork board. It was a big one, uh, and I, I've actually seen other places that did the same thing. That was green, and the other side was pink. Mm-hmm. The green side represented money. And these are men's houses, and so the pink represented relationships. Mm-hmm. And so for a woman, it would be blue, right? If yeah. it was a woman's house. And on that on that court board was obituaries. Oh man, of people who had left recovery for a job, for money, or for a relationship. And there was literally people who had died because they were not willing to stay where God had them in their sobriety. They were not willing to wait for what God had them and literally lost their life. And these people were sober at the time. So this is, you know, you can have three days, three years, three decades of sobriety, and there's things that we're not willing to let go of Mm -hmm. that can keep us drunk. And I I wanna say this too, because I think sometimes this gets um, confused, is to explain the difference between desperation and willingness. I think in my heart that there was, this man was desperate. Like I think that he wanted truly, that the young ruler wanted to be with Jesus. I believe that there are many, many people that are desperate right now to stop the pain. Like we yeah. don't want that. Like we don't yeah. want to continue to keep killing ourselves. and. And they would even tell you, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why I keep using it. And, I, and I've, I've wept. I've had to go and grab men and remove them from their houses because their wives have asked me because they had drugs all over their house and it became unsafe for their house. I've, yeah. I've had to do some, some terrible things to some very broken men. And I will tell you right now, there's no doubt in my, doubt in my mind Hunter, that they were desperate. But there's a difference between desperation and willingness. Many people come to the doors of sobriety desperate. And their desperation brought them there, but it won't keep them there. Yeah. 
it'll open the door. Yeah. It'll, it'll get it'll get you to the feet to kneel to Jesus, right? I'm running. Like when you run something, like that's that's desperation, right? Like you know, uh, if, if my wife the other day we saw that she found a snake in my house, and then she's calling me, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah. She's like, get here. She was like, she's running down the road, like yeah. getting out, like, hey man, that's a sign of like I'm let me get me out of here. Like yeah. I'm motivated. I'm moving. But that just gets us to the door. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're listening right now and you're desperate right now, and you're sick and tired of this, and you know you need to stop using, you know you need to change, or, or maybe you've been sober for years or months, but you know you have to change. Like you know you can't continue on like this, but you just haven't been willing. Yeah. And we have to convert the emotions of desperation in to willingness yeah and i think the way that we do that is we have to get honest Mm. we have to get honest we have to get honest with ourselves and say like you just mentioned are you willing to do anything yeah and and, and that's a question you ask yourselves are you willing to do anything to get sober like there's nothing um in a biblical quest for sobriety that um that, that we would ask you to do to harm yourself. Yeah. So you can take that off the table. It's not, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to make it worse. Yep. Um, but are you willing to do anything to stay sober? Because if you're not, the odds are against you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that you have to be willing to change everything. You just have to have that little bit of a willingness to say, God, you can have it all. Yeah. I remember, um, I'll say this and, and, and I'll let you um, continue on and kind of probing these application questions here. Uh, I, got a, I, got a, I got one phone call, I got arrested 14 years ago. And um, you know, I got, I got one phone call and I smile when I think of it because it should be the darkest moment in my life. Mm-hmm. But now I know it's because I got rescued. I mean, it was a rescue moment, man. I get, I get arrested, I get indicted, I'm looking at some, 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 some pretty significant time. And I'm in the drunk tank. I get in there with this guy. I mean, he's crazy. Wow, you know, he's he's uh, he was a known drug dealer. We knew each other, and and uh, he was only in there for a while. And they took him out. And I was just thinking, like, man, what am I doing in here? And um, guy said, you got one call. So they had rounded up about seventy guys. It was a big drug fab task force. I mean, they had run wires, like video. They got a bunch of people, all the from the low level to the major yeah. level. They rounded us all up at once, right? So. Um, they could try to pin it all on us and we couldn't talk and yeah. that sort of thing. So um, they're doing their job well. <laughs> Let's say that. <laughs> and so I've got, I say that because I have on like four X. Like they didn't have any sizes. So I've got, I'm like, I, they, they come and get me. They, they lock my hands. So they, all they 70 put, ran out the stock. Yeah, they put my chains yeah. on, uh, put handcuffs on my, on, my, on my wrist, handcuffs on my ankles. They put the chains that connect around my waist. I've got, I'm trying to hold my pants from falling up. No, um, you know, underwear, nothing like, I mean, you're just like raw, yeah. raw, been sleeping on the concrete, hadn't eaten. I'm walking out and they say, all right, you've got a phone call to make. And I'm thinking, who in the world am I going to call? Because at that time, uh, my now wife, Josie, had literally moved away from me. I had become so just um, hurtful and harmful and I was selling drugs. She didn't want me to be around. She was pregnant. Um, with my middle son and my oldest son was only like one years old she moved and lived with a friend hadn't spoken to her and and she just wanted to get away from me i was yeah. an unhealthy person but she's the only number that i knew she's the only number that i knew yeah and i called and i, I said hey i got arrested and I got indicted da, 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 and i and i kind of like braced even though if you know josie she's like that sweetest most oh, yeah. happiest person hey when you see her yeah. like that and she never done anything like that to make me think this but i just thought here we go. Like I deserve yeah. to be punched in the face. Like I deserve to be told, "Yeah, you're a low down, dirty dog." Because I was. Yeah. And this is what I love about Jesus, is that He doesn't kick us when we're down. He doesn't shoot the wounded, mm-hmm. right? And my wife says to me, she says, "This is God. Mm. This is God. 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 This is God. I believe you're going to be fine, Adam. God is." He, he, you know, he's got a plan for you. He's got a hope for you. And, you know, you need to get, and he, she went all this. And she gave me more hope in five minutes than I had in 25 years, <laughs> right in that moment. And I think we have to drop this big misconception. We have to let go of like, man, if I come to God 
in this disgraceful manner. If I come to God with where I'm at in this messiness with like, I deserve to be kicked. Like yeah. we've, you know, people in, in recovery, like you people, there's a misconception. Like we don't know that we're doing wrong. We know it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We feel the weight of that. We feel that incomprehensible demoralization. Like we feel the shame. And a lot of time it's the shame and guilt that keep us from being willing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Yeah. It's a cycle. And so my listener, or if you have somebody that you know that you love that's struggling, or if you've got 10 years of sobriety and you're going, I can't tell that I'm doing this. I'll let people down if I share my secret. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, that's the lie from Satan. Yeah. Satan, God is going to be just like Josie. And she's going to say, this is my plan. I want to break you free from that weight. You're trying to drag around this weighted down coconut and Satan keeps coming and capturing you every single time. And all you have to do is just let it go. And I promise you there's freedom on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. You're listening. What are you willing to do? Yeah. You got to be honest with yourself. And, 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 and you want to share some more of these questions, Hunter, I think that can kind of help us kind of, because somebody's listening right now and they're going, is this me? Yeah. Is Am I ready for this yet? So there's the first question. Is this me? Am I willing to do anything to get sto- sober or stay sober? And then we're going to take it into a different direction. You may not be ready to do anything to stay sober. We'll admit it's going to get harder, but with God, nothing is impossible. Are you willing to do one thing? in a path to get sober or stay sober. Right. Right. What is that what is that one thing that, you know, is just tapping, tapping, yeah. tapping. That there was that one it only takes one moment to change. Mm-hmm. And they can start right now. Yeah. You're going, well, my life is in shambles. It's it's I'm I'm you, like I'm in there and I've lost everything. I'm in jail and you know, um it feels like you're in jail because I tell you I go to prisons all the time and jails all the time and there's people that are so free in jail and prison mm-hmm. because of their walk with Christ and their walk in recovery and there's people that every day I see in hotels and motels or I talk on the phone and they are they are in prison because of their addiction and if you're there start with one thing yeah one thing what is one thing you're willing to do Tell people, tell somebody, ask for help. Do that one thing, and that one willingness will start to snowball. Just like that cycle of shame and guilt works, when you're willing to say, I need help, and you feel that relief and that peace, and you get the help you need, it just begins to snowball. Yeah. And before you know it, you look back, and you're going, how in the world did I get here? And because this is what happens. We take one step toward God, and he carries us 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of God we serve. Yeah. You know, the whole story of, man, you know, you're walking with God and you use two front footprints in yeah. the stand and, and you go, well, God, where's, you left me. And he goes, no, I carried I'm you, bro. I carried you, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. carried you. You know, two men are walking. If you haven't heard this, two men are walking and and, and uh, it's God and a man and, and they're looking back over his life and they, they see all these footprints in the stand and all of a sudden the four footprints go to two and the man asks God, he says, well, did you leave me? And he goes, no, I carried you. Yeah. So, we just start walking with God and he carries us through those difficult moments. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, it was that moment when the police arrested you. That was when you, you didn't want to continue drinking. You had a little bit of willingness to do the work, but that's what started it. Yeah. That moment. Think about that. 14 years ago. Yeah. 14 years ago, I hung up that phone and I said, man, I'm going to try something different. It wasn't long after that. And so here's what happens. When you, when you say that, be willing. Be, be, be looking for those opportunities. It wasn't far after that. A couple of days later, uh, I remember uh, my mom and some other people came to me and they said, hey, uh, do you want to try to go to treatment? And I said, I don't know. I went back to my cell because I knew I was going, I could go to prison. Mm-hmm. My lawyer looked at me and said, you can go to prison or you can go to treatment. I was talking to the guys. Oh, I mean, you know, they got better food at treatment, da, 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 da. But I ain't no, I'm not a faker, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I ain't gonna go fake something, you yeah. know? But I prayed and I thought, I guess I'll try. There was just a little bit of willingness mm-hmm. 
to try something different. And dude, 14 years ago. So somebody's listening, I'm gonna tell you right now, you can do it. Yeah. You can make the change. You can your life can be completely different. Listen, you can be 40 years old. Guess what? You stay sober for 18 years. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new life. And and two so we live in an era of just instant gratification. Of we right. think that everything is that's when the fairy godmother came to visit me and now my life is great. Right. Those 14 years, they weren't easy. No. Since, <laughs> no, they weren't. Yeah. Since you made that decision, that first that first one thing you gave up, right. it was just a snowball of continuous things you had to give up. You had to yeah. then stop doing this. You had to leave these friends. You had to you had to change everything. And it was a brutal 14 years, but look at where you are now. Right. So in that, too often people get caught up. I know someone, I, uh, I drove him to a treatment center over in East Tennessee one time. And I remember he, right before I picked him up, apparently he had just went and got high out of his mind right before I picked him up. So we had a 90 minute drive to the treatment facility from his house. And- uh, Welcome to my world, go ahead. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's what you did like this past week. Yeah, you came yeah, by yeah. the office and you're like, well, I'm gonna go pick somebody up now. Yeah. Uh, but he just got high out of his mind. And I remember him telling me, he thought, this is a young guy, and he thought, see you in 30 days, I'll be better, I'll be fixed. See you in a month. Yeah, it's over. It's over, I'm done. No, that, and I remember, so this, this guy, when we pulled up to the treatment center, it was real late at night, uh, someone comes outside and he goes, hey, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? Tells him his name and he goes, cool, how many times have you been here? And the kid that I was with was starting to come down and he was like, this is my first time. And he was like, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll get you out in 30 days and you'll be back. And I remember thinking like me, and this yeah. dude had seen recovery. He had seen the cyclical, he'd seen the cycles, he'd seen the destruction. Yeah. And when he said, he was like, he'll be back. I remember thinking like, well, dang, set the kid up for failure, I guess. Yeah. But he's been back three times now. And it's always, it, yeah. it's it, not a that treatment center you want to go to, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's not a great mentality. <laughs> but the point being, he knew that it wasn't going to get fixed in 30 days. This was a long journey. And I do think that's what sets Recovery Refuge apart. Right. Is one, you're not gonna pull up, we're gonna go, cool, see you, you'll be back. That's yeah. not the goal, but it's a longer form of treatment. Right. It's not a 30 days, we're gonna detox you medically, we're gonna get you hooked up on all these other drugs that are gonna keep you from doing these drugs, and then we're just gonna build your engine. Right. The goal is a longer form of care yeah. that teaches you the rhythms of life. It right. teaches you how to mm. get clean, stay clean. Absolutely. And it's it's not the 30 days pump and dump. You're not done. Yeah, it's a slow walk. We yeah. want to, you know, Jesus with the disciples for 36 months. We want to mm -hmm. walk with you for 36 months. Now, you'll be in, you know, the inpatient program is yeah. less than that, obviously, but we want to track with you. We yep. want to make sure that you've created these rhythms in your life. And I want to go back to something you said about um, the 14 years in sobriety. Yes, it's been tough, but my worst day in sobriety was better than my best day yeah. when I was using. And willingness, um, it makes us, like we have to do uncomfortable things, um, things that don't feel natural, right? They kind of basically chip away at our ego. Yeah. But um, every single time I was willing to do something that was uncomfortable, that was hard for me to face or admit or talk about or share, or go to, you know, every single time I felt relief and I felt better. That yeah. is the beauty of biblical recovery. The Word of God sets us free. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. nothing more, it's ill, like, peace is, it's invaluable. Like, you can't, there's no money. No. Like, that's what, you know, you think of, uh, you know, think of Michael Jackson, right? The wealth, one of wealth fame. He's at the top as you can get. Yep. Wealth, the top you can get. He died with a man that he's paying $200,000 to shoot him with drugs. He died miserably. There was no peace in his life. No. Now, let me tell you something. If Michael Jackson were here and he had a second chance, which he don't, there's no second chances, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you don't come back from that. I guarantee you, though, that little kid, you top him at 10 years old, you say, would you want the fame and the money and your life to end the way it did? Or would you want a life of this? Pete, he would tell you immediately, man, yeah. let me get a full life. Let me get rich. Let me get the, the riches of life that have nothing to do with money. That was a problem with their young ruler. Yep. 
He could not let go of what the world standard of success was, what the world says was rich. Yeah. And see, the illusion of Satan is he continues to make us believe these lies. And a lot of times we're not willing to go after because we just don't believe it to be true. Yeah. And so that's why I say if you're listening, you don't have to believe everything I'm saying. You don't have to even think this will work, but are you willing to try it? Yeah. Because I guarantee you, you put God to the test, he always comes through. And I have yet to see anybody who has thoroughly worked a path of recovery with Jesus as Lord, who didn't say sober. I can honestly say, I, there's nobody that I've said, man, I could say, listen, well, there's this guy, he got up, he prayed, he read, he went to meetings, he talked to his mentor, he worked through his life, he worked through the steps, he was active in church. Um, and you know, man, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't get it. There's nobody like that that I can think of. I've, I've never met anybody like that. There's a solution. And if you're willing, um, you can get it. And so we started the pro program, you know, this, this episode with, hey, the most common question is like, hey, <clears throat> is, excuse me, is the problem is there not enough resources? Yeah. No, that's not the problem. You know, um, it's not that um, there's not places for people who struggle with alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, food. Like, yeah. no. The problem is, are you willing? Yeah. And I think um, we have to be honest with ourselves and look us in the mirror look ourselves in the mirror and go, what are you willing to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to end in prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next time. So Jesus, I want to thank you for uh, this space. I want to thank you for this venue that we're able to discuss these things, Lord. I pray that uh, always we keep our swords sharp so that we can fight these battles. I pray that we question ourselves. Are we willing to get clean? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to attain that peace that only you offer? And Lord, I pray that if that answer is no, if we can honestly look at ourselves and we can say, no, I'm not willing, I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to pray that we would be made willing. Because that's not a simple journey. That's gonna be a painful one where mm. we're broken to a point of willingness. But I pray that the listener, whoever would have the courage to pray to be made willing if they're not already. Yes, Father in heaven, help us. I pray, Father, you place circumstances and people in our lives that would lead us to willingness. God, we pray for that gift of willingness. We pray that desperation, that the pain, all of that would lead us to action, would lead us to be willing. And I pray for anyone who's struggling right now, Lord, I ask God you'd comfort them. You're the God of all comfort. And God, I pray that they would be willing to, after this to ask for help. God, it's so comforting to know that when I come to you, your arms are wide open. You're ready to receive me. You're not a get you God. You're a done God. I've done it on the cross and you love us and you desire to be in relationship with us and you want to help us. And you've created a pathway to peace and to sobriety to anyone that is willing to take it. You don't pick favorites no matter race money economic status none of that god gender lord you are willing to help anyone there's freedom in that so father i would pray that you would provide the resources for recovery refuge to 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 build and expand and to grow so that we can help many people as possible lord and so it's in jesus name i pray amen amen see you guys next time Thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We always appreciate it when you share this podcast on your social media platforms to help get the word out. You never know whose life will be saved or impacted in the world of recovery because you chose to share. To learn more about Recovery Refuge or to support us, go to www.recoveryrefuge.care. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, today is a great day to have a great day. Mm -hmm.